0: it's happening again welcome to work cookie dot com.
1: Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, industrial organizational psychology consultant and workplace communication and negotiation coach. We're here again with Josh Duran and we're talking about IO psychology moving into the cosmos. This absolutely fascinating topic today. We're, so Joshua was kind enough to share his notes with me. On a couple of everything from like physical or physiological adaptation issues to space flight participants in terms of space tourism and all this has implications i i i I read over i've been reading over your notes Josh, and i'm trying to draw these parallels as much as i can for the corporate environment now or the day-to-day labor environment in terms of how does that look with everything that's required for space travel and then because your notes are so thorough, I start thinking of this is going to be workplace. So (laughs) you're going to have, you know, there's not just very serious talks of colonizing on the moon, like that's the next step before we get to Mars. So that is next step. And I just had this thought, workman's comp issues for accidents that happen on the moon, because we're going to get there. It's just a, it's just a matter of time. So where I wanted to start, because I think this is It's all fascinating when we look at extreme environments and everything that it takes for astronauts to prepare to go into these extreme environments. And my note here was it's a very strange note that I made. How can this type of training be lessened and implemented into corporate to produce XYZ? Could, in fact, this be a new frontier in corporate training? And what I mean by that, astronauts, you know, they're living in. You know, remote place. They have to practice living in remote places. They're in Antarctica. They're doing all this, all these skill-based things, living together as a group, because they have to be in these ice environments, these isolated, confined, and extreme environments. Yeah. What would and if you prepare for that gravity of a situation, and hope that and hope that you never have to use that training that comes in for those critical moments, but you're at least prepared. And my grandiose, big, hairy uh, idea is what if we train people in the workplace today, now, for things that will likely never occur for those critical moments, kind of overtrain, because then they'll be that good and they'll fall back to their lowest point of preparation. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, great thought process. Trying to tie everything back into the workplace because. Uh, this is essentially is what we're geared towards as IO psychologists is how does this all relate to the employee and to the organization? What was your question again? I'm sorry.
1: Just in general, are there implications now that we can look at and saying, look, these astronauts are, are are over-preparing, of course, because they have to be ready for anything. Just like in your your um like your public safety industries. What if we did in corporate? What if we absolutely just overtrained? But of course, it would be have to be feasible. It would have to use, you know effectively utilize resources. Then you get in time off the clock and finances mm-hmm. and all that. But what, what if what if there's a new frontier in corporate uh, or in, in the workplace that emerges where it's very solid, very specific over training? That way, when things do happen, when communication incidents happen, critical incidents happen, that it's almost like. Wow, no big deal. We've overtrained for this. So we certainly know how to deal with it rather than how it is now with some in some companies. Maybe we'll train our employees, maybe we won't. And then we'll just train them to check a box and then nothing happens, or we'll train them for exactly what we need to do. What would happen if we just this new frontier and and I know like I don't believe <laughs> I don't expect anything to come out of it, let alone anytime soon. But that's just where my mind went. What if we just really, you know? Put the horns on and said, Look, we're just going to overtrain and we're going to be an awesome company because that had you know, astronauts kind of can't make a whole lot of mistakes, and when you do, you've got to be able to communicate, regroup right. A, B, and C.
2: So, I think where it's going to really take off in terms of the workplace is human resources is going to start having to place big importance on the selection process rather than the training because you can train. Every single person on this planet, but even then there's still outliers or there's still uh, fundamental things that can't be learned, and some of these limitations are is what gets rooted out in the selection process, and that enables these uh, candidates to be the likely uh, people in terms of success. So I think uh, human resources will have to be the main focal point of any business or organization.
1: and that okay. I like that because that makes me think I'm going, to, I'm going to stick with this overtraining. Let's say that a company said, look, we are going to go to the overtraining. You've got to have the people that are both psychologically uh, and skill wise equipped to go through that particular level of training, which is why when you have like with, go- with your government astronauts, they've got to go through a series of, you know, all the psychological exams, uh, you name it, they are the best of the best. So when you put them in those Ice conditions and that training for those isolated, confined, and extreme environments, they're able to do it because they're psychologically equipped. So, what you're saying is, it's going to be, we've got to look at this and and say, hey, what can we do now if we parallel this? What can human resources do to really enhance the recruiting process? Make sure that that talent, like we're hiring people that are going to be equipped, even if it's just a mindset, even if you, you, you say, look, We want to hire people that are equipped for this crazy training that we're going to put them through in this organization, knowing that there's no crazy training. But again, it's a mind shift that can help companies identify what they're really looking for in their candidates, not so they can not in terms of a reactionary environment, but being very proactive with those potential candidates. I want to share a couple of things from your notes just to get back onto the fun astronaut part, just some things. So astronauts, of course, have to adapt to moving without using their legs and learn new coordination strategies in short-term. So astronauts can lose up to 20% of muscle master in the short-term, up to 50% during long-term missions. You've got all kinds of things like bone demineralization that's observed in older adults with osteoporosis, That all happens, and that's where I have in my note what I mentioned earlier. I have written: think fifty years from now, what kind of health plan is that going to be like? When we have our workforces, we actually have our the companies, these aerospace and engineering companies that have, you know, what's their health plan look like? (laughs) What are the real job requirements going to look like? And all in all, we talk about these, you know, everything in the extreme. But in thinking this way, and that's why I urge our audience thinking about this way how can we start to make baby steps and utilize this perspective to make our current work environments better?
2: Absolutely. I think uh, one thing to note is that most of these physiological functions that are impacted by microgravity undergo an adjustment period within the first three to 14 days. So there is a sense of normalcy, or at least the body returns to some sort of uh, homeostasis, if you will. And then within four to six weeks, most of the physiological system reach normal functioning levels, but within that gravity state. So if you were to take yourself out of, say, we're already in space in zero G, and you were to return to the earth to one um, G types of surfaces, your body's going to go through an adjustment period where it's not going to feel all that well or all that great. If you were going to Mars per se, or even the moon. Um, Those have two different gravity states, therefore determining the level in which you heal. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. And you mentioned the healthcare system. I think it'd be interesting to differentiate between these types of citizens because there's different levels of space tourists, whether they're suborbital or orbital, whether they're going beyond Earth's atmosphere into, into deep space. And I could go on for there uh, forever, man. Please jump in at any time.
1: And that goes that I, it keeps bringing me back to what is the benefit for those listening to us right now? And I think the benefit it continues to go to perspective. So we have this really interesting topic of space psychology, and you talk and we talk about this adaptation period for the muscular, muscular, musk, the MS system, <laughs> right? And we think about that. What if you're hiring a uh, hiring for sales reps? And they're going to be people that are going to be experienced. They're going to have to be, you know, zipping and, and zoning all the way across the U.S. and across different countries. They're not used to it. They're going to have jet lag. They're they're going to go through all these different changes, and they're going to have to learn to adapt to that. So, is that taken into consideration? The whole i the, the one of the takeaways and one of the purposes that I feel that we're here today is to get people to think in different terms. It's almost like whenever you're in high school and someone's and you're learning the, the Pythagorean Theorem, you're thinking, why do I have to learn this? I'm never going to have to learn that. I'm never going to have to know this or use it. And all these different subjects that we take, we might not want to practice that. Same thing in college with electives and whatnot. And it, it all, it, I finally understood it at some point in my life where it's not just learning those things, but it's learning to think differently about the world and about different concepts that will affect you eventually. So I think the biggest goal for some of these episodes that we're doing is taking that. So how can we expand the thinking? And now we have something as kind of a backdrop in terms of, okay, astronauts, they go through all these physiological changes. There's an adaptation period. If you're hiring for salespeople, they're going to be flying everywhere. They're going to have these crazy hours and jet lag. Is that taken into consideration and how can you look at the research for astronauts for example or just think differently about it to better your your onboarding onboarding process your recruiting process to look at these kinds of things i love this because it's a fascinating topic and io is entering the new frontier so my question to you is one that i haven't formulated yet so as i talk out (laughs) loud joshua to give myself more time Uh, to do that. I did write down uh, on a related note, a whole new area in self-care in 20 years when you're looking at the circadian processes. So I'm going to make one big jump over here to, I'm looking in your notes, the first three hours of sleep are the most restorative. And now when you're looking at a type of space environment where you don't exactly have the sun coming up and setting at the same time, I think it's what the 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 shuttles orbit the earth every 90 minutes maybe yes oh hey i remembered something you got it <laughs> so what what's the impact when you look at the preparedness for astronauts but also the preparedness for their teams what's the communication like and what do the relationships have to be like between the command and control center on the ground and the astronauts either during training or in real life
2: yeah so autonomy plays a big role in in answering this uh, because mission control can only dictate so much to these astronauts in time as we start exploring the cosmos and going further and further beyond so in terms of distances uh the moon and mars those are two completely mission control relationships therefore i'd love to see And it's only going to mean it's only going to take actual space flights to to see what the responses are like. But we need to see how communication plays in long duration missions, because that just has yet to be um, explored, at least uh, what I've been seeing in the research.
1: My next question is regard to, because we don't have, I don't know of any companies out there that are giving drugs to their employees, okay? When you look at astronauts, I'm I'm seeing here, hypnotics are the second most medication during space fight, space flight, surpassed only by drugs for SMS. And SMS is uh, the sleep cycle, no?
2: Yep. No, I'm sorry. It's going to be the space motion sickness.
1: Yes, there we go. So space motion sickness and then hypnotics. I don't know what hypnotics are. Maybe I live under a rock.
2: (laughs) See that? goes into the realm of uh, psychotherapy, which were the classes that I steered away from, but I believe hypnotics are to help with uh, sleep.
1: Oh, so, okay. So that's that's the sleeping part. So I had them switched around. Yeah. And, be, and that's because, oh, the disruption in sleep and fatigue and the alterations in circadian rhythm. So that's another thing to consider in the future. How is that going to be, how is that going to be handled? Because then you're getting into a whole new Realm of responsibility and liability because we're not just going to be talking about these, just NASA and your SpaceX and your Blue Origin. There's going to be tons of other companies. You're going to have contractors that are sending just regular workers up there working on these installations and putting together the infrastructure for a space colony. So you're going to have probably nearly every type of profession, A to Z, somehow contributing to that particular environment. It almost blew, it almost blows, it almost blows your mind about having a colony somewhere else. And you're really just transferring what we have here in terms of work, personal life, health, wellness, all that. And it's, it's, I mean, I know Joshua, it's as easy as (laughs) picking a town up and just putting it on the moon.
2: We wish that was that easy. One thing you mentioned, um, just going back to sleep real quick. um, If, Feature organizations listening and really want to understand what life would be like for these astronauts without any medication. Uh, you're looking at increased response times, several laps in simple reaction time tasks, slowing performance and mental arithmetic, and just the impaired working memory functions. All of this as a direct response of not having any medication so i think it's important to to address that it's going to be a requirement because these are physiological changes that are occurring because of the environment it's not something that we can can control Um, so we must mediate through psychotherapy
1: one last before we end this episode what what can employers do now knowing that looking at okay that these, these, these hypnotics can't be forced on someone now. But going back to my, sales, my salesperson example, knowing that if they are not getting the type of rest, the type of sleep, circadian rhythm is knocked off, jet lag, X, Y, Z, that directly hits performance, memory, reaction time, working memory, everything that's important in that particular role. So what can organizations do in that regard on any level to help out with that
2: there's definitely countermeasures to address these disorders and ailments along that go along with space flight but i think the issue is they're going to happen it's not a matter of if more so than when especially when you're talking about long duration so there will be a need to uh, shift the thinking about positive psychology as the main paradigm that we use to, to think about space exploration only because looking at it from a traditional concept you're thinking about all of these disorders and illnesses in a negative light shifting to a more positive perspective highlights the adaptive nature of all disorders basically general disorders are are thought of as adaptations to the environment so I, and i'm going on a tangent here i think a shift in thinking is one way that we can start looking at how does this relate to the workforce?
1: It's almost like a theory. So instead of looking at it and being afraid or negative about something, taking that using the positive psychology, being been around for decades. There's tons and tons of research on that. So leaning more towards that, it's almost like when you're experiencing a, a fear response and which incorporates anger, for example, our problem solving mechanisms of our body start to shut down. So if we're looking at how can we really solve the problem if we're just in complete fear of it, rather than how can we look at this in a positive light in order to shift perspective to see how can we, and in some cases, use it to our advantage, these things that are happening. I'm sure they'll figure out ways to, to use it to their advantage because of the adaptations that occur. And how can those adaptations actually benefit in other areas of that person's performance and also their work environment?
2: Well said. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. That was well said.
1: It's a good point to end. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit subscribe if you're listening on Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes. We're pretty much everywhere. We'll catch you next time, counting out of five, four, three, two, and
0: one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At Seabock.com.